Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I am your hostess, Lori Adams-Brown, and you are listening to our 10th episode. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free. Number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time, and I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. In this episode, I get to interview my friend Gracia Berrios. She uh, lives here in the Bay Area. I got to know her through Echo Church, because that's where we both attend, and she has been helping with some of our Echo Compassion efforts um, during this COVID pandemic time, and she's been uh, just volunteering as a project manager to work with Operation Palm Leaf, which is an organization that um, has needed some volunteers to help reach out to those who are only Spanish speakers in the community. And so she's helped us found, find some Spanish speakers to work with this organization to um, to provide opportunities to help them during this pandemic. But her regular job is um, she works for a nonprofit here in the Bay Area that helps to provide legal services for those who are in need, especially um, immigrants, um, and particularly she works with a lot of DACA cases. So today we're going to talk a lot about that. She herself is an immigrant. She immigrated to the U.S. as a baby, and um, she came, uh, her family came to the States from Peru. So she's going to talk a little bit about that too, but uh, just listen in today because she's going to really dig into some of the areas of how a lot of our policies in the United States are affecting a lot of our DACA cases and just get a, an insider's point of view to, to some of the the situations and the stories that she's familiar with here in the Bay Area. So welcome to the show, my friend, Gracia Berrios. Hi, Lori. Thanks for being on the show. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, um, I've uh, known you for a little while, but you're new to all my listeners. So I'd love it if you just gave a little introduction to yourself, like tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Gracia. Um, I am, uh, I work at a nonprofit in San Francisco called, uh, One Justice, and we specifically, uh, we try to help, um, legal service providers in the Bay Area, uh, for, um, underserved Californians, uh, seek in legal services. Um, it can be incredibly expensive to find legal services, um, for a good price or even some not price at all. So, we do our best to have um, like free legal workshops, support legal service providers, um, have immigration workshops, criminal justice workshops, um, among other things. 
Um, I basically grew up here in the Bay Area. I've been originally, um, or excuse me, I grew up in Sonoma County for most of my life, um, more up north. And yeah, it's a little bit about me. Yeah, it's so great. I love what you do. So I wanted to have you on to talk about um, your experiences, both personally and in the work that you do with immigration, since we're doing this immigration series. And I know that you've told me your own personal story of immigration when you came here as a child. So mm-hmm. I'd love for you to share that story um, of like your own personal journey with immigration uh, from the perspective of when you were a child and maybe how you see it for yourself today as well. Yeah, of course. Um, so me and my family were originally all from Peru. Um, I was born there and we immigrated to the States about when I was um, a year old. So we came here in 1995. Um, and it was me, my brother and my parents. Um, to say that it was a process um, is an understatement. Um, I thankfully, um, we would go back a lot to Peru for paperwork, among other things, but also like visit and family. Um, and I kind of got to see it in the eyes as well as, as, as like, um, how my parents took it, right? Um, so kind of like them come in as, you know, adults themselves, they were in their 40s, raising two children, come into a completely new country. Um, I can only imagine it's, it's a lot. Um, yeah. So um, I, you know, something that my dad told me growing up is like, you know, my mom would cry for the first two years of being here in the States, because it was just so, so difficult for her. Yeah. Um, she left her whole family behind my, my, um, my dad left his whole family behind as well. But like, my mom was really close with her family. She has six brothers and sisters. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we have a, a pretty big family in Peru. Um, so just kind of seeing it from that perspective. Um, but yeah, we became, um, we officially became citizens when I was in, uh, middle school. So I remember growing up, my brother, prepping for the naturalization exam. Uh, my parents prepping for the naturalization exam. You know, me as like a 12 year old, I didn't really like <laughs> know like what it even meant. It's like, why are yeah. you studying history, like US history questions? Like what's going on? <laughs> right. um, like I thought I was only supposed to do that since I'm in school. Um, but yeah. And so like, I remember going to like the oath ceremony and like, I like, I visibly remember like my parents like tearing up and just like, but for me, like, as a child, I still, like, I couldn't really grasp it until, like, I became older, like, in high school. It's like, oh, wow, like, this is, like, it's a big deal for a lot of people. Um, in addition to it's a long, long process. Um, yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. Um, it's complicated. You need to have the right resources, the right connections. Um, so, yeah, that's, like, our our little immigration um, story. It's definitely, you know, there were still some, like, you know, how you say like hurdles that you had to overcome in terms of like there was a point in our residency that like we weren't even sure if like we could become um move forward with the citizenship process and I remember one time my dad telling me like yeah like our lord told us straight up to our face like I think maybe we should go back to Peru wow um and we had already been here in the country for like over a decade you wow. know yeah. um so that's like I can only imagine how hard that must be to hear as like a parent like that's probably pretty scary yeah. um but in terms of like regarding your second question, do you want to repeat in that question again? Yeah, just mostly like how you process it as an adult. Because I know, I mean, if you were one, you don't really have a memory of the moment you guys left Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And like you said, you processed it as a 12 year old going through the, <laughs> the, the, whatever that looks like, what was that seventh or sixth grade? Or yeah. Something like that? yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously as an adult, you know, you probably see your whole immigration story in a different way. So. Yeah. I mean, I think especially like right now, how I see it, like being in my twenties, like going to college, like understand it so much more deeper, like how much work it took for my parents, um, to come here to this country, one, to go through the process of a visa, then a residency, and then citizenship. It it took a lot of work. Um, And, you know, I think right now, like, I'm I'm very, like, appreciative of that. Um, And it just, it reminds me, like, how, and I'll, you know, I always say this, but it's, like, how resilient immigrants are. Yeah. um, In terms of, like, the battles that they have to, that we have to, like, overcome, the circumstances, um, just everything that comes with that word immigrant. Yeah. Um, so it's just like a, you know, being from going from like a 12 year old to like now being in my twenties, it's like, I understand it so much more deeper. It's such a complex system. Um, Mm -hmm. especially right now where we are, um, as a country, it's so much more complex. Um, but it's also so much more complex right now because of like what's going on right now. Um, so like, you know, but yeah, so I guess that's a little bit about that. Well, um, so what year was it that you guys finally officially became, um, do they say nationalized? What are they? Um, you know, that's actually a good question. Or we just say when you officially got your citizenship is what I guess I usually hear. Um, so honestly, I, I just remember that I was in, my mom has like, the memory of an elephant so I personally don't know I think it was like September when I was in eighth grade I would say okay. um shoot so that would maybe like 2008 2007 okay. yeah 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 okay well that helps because um one of the things we'll dig into a little deeper is how the immigration policies have changed a little bit in recent years um but it does give us context that um even back then in 2008, there was work that needed to be done within the system that a lot mm-hmm. of people were calling out for, but yeah. I think it's increased as we've gotten more narrow. So um, I guess my next question was, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about some of the work you're doing on behalf of immigrants here in California and the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said earlier, we do multiple uh, free legal workshops. And so what that means is uh, we partner up with legal service providers here in the Bay Area, and we also partner up with the private sector. Um, so what that means is we connect the legal service providers with our uh, pro bono volunteers. And okay. so we're like the middle ground essentially for these free legal workshops. Um, so we have obviously now pivoted into a virtual Zoom uh, clinic uh, clinics that we have now with our clients. Um, and so far, it's honestly it's been really um, it's been really great to see how much we've been able to come through with since being in the pandemic. Um, I think like I want to say an estimate of like I'll go into knit and gritty, but I just want to say like an estimate of like probably almost like two hundred. Um, no, not two, or maybe like over a hundred people we have helped for like immigrant, uh, specific immigrants, uh, in our virtual clinics. Um, so what we've been doing these past few months, uh, we started off with DACA. Uh-huh. Um, so that was like our first virtual DACA clinics. 
Um, and the reason why we wanted to start off with DACA was because, um, well, just a little backstory. Previously to the pandemic, we had our physical immigration workshops and we had, we offered three immigration screenings. So we had DACA, general immigration screenings, which is like folks that are undocumented to see if they can apply for any kind of, um, like legal status here in the States and naturalization. So we had to offer all of those three in our physical okay. clinics. And okay. when we pivoted to virtual, we're like, well, we can only do one um, because okay. it's been way too complicated to do three of them in a virtual setting. And yeah. we decided to do DACA. Okay. Um, and we're like, you know, part of the reason this was like in March or May or April around that time when we wanted to do DACA was because of everything that was going on with DACA at that point. Um, right. So in case folks don't know, um, September of 2017, I believe Trump um, cut out um, new applicants for DACA. Um, So that was the very beginning process of basically trying the Trump administration trying to eliminate DACA, which is incredibly scary. Mm -hmm. Um, It basically led to because Trump wanted to eliminate DACA, it basically like led to the hands of the Supreme Court to decide um, if DACA was going to continue or not. And they had Supreme Court had until the end of June was their deadline. Um, So it started like their deadline was start or ended the end of June of this year if DACA was going to continue or not. Um, So, you know, obviously they had from like, I think, November of last year. So, like I said, June of this year. Um, And as the months got closer, I can only imagine how much anxiety that must have been for DACA recipients. Yeah. Um. So just like literally having like their lives, like their, their, their lives in the hands of the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and what DACA is just a little bit of back, um, backstory. DACA enables um, young, mostly millennials, and I would say Gen Zers, uh, to work legally here in the States, um, have a work visa, and um, not be deportable, um, yeah. which is huge. Um, and that was mainly a community push, which a lot of people sometimes forget, um, because of the community, because of undocumented people, that's why DACA exists. Um, so, so that was our, our first like virtual clinic that we pivoted to. And, um, it ended up turning out really, really well. I think we helped like, I don't know, maybe like 50 DACA recipients in all the virtual clinics that we did because we wanted to do it. um, every two weeks Uh uh, just because we didn't know when DACA was going to end and if it was going to end. Right. Um, So we're like, okay, let's help out. Let's like just do as as many as we can because right now the most important thing is for them to renew their DACA. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that was hopefully I didn't (laughs) blur too much about it. (laughs) No, it's great. You know, a lot of our listeners aren't even in the United States. Um, Some are U.S. citizens living abroad. We have like people in a lot of different nations, but I think there's some similar uh, situations regarding immigration going on in other countries around the world right Mm. now, like in Australia, Europe, lots of countries in Europe and New Zealand, a lot of different places. I know even Peru, right, is receiving Mm -hmm. a lot of Venezuelan immigrants. And and so there's, you know, just people listening in different countries that are facing maybe not the exact situation legally that we have going on with our Supreme Court making decisions, but um, I think people can relate on those levels. And so it's helpful to explain what DACA is. So if correct me if I'm wrong, because honestly, I've just lived in the United States for the past year, living most of my life abroad. But I would read about the U.S. news overseas, of course, through like BBC and different perspectives. But mm-hmm. um, 
So when they say DACA, they also often refer to them as the dreamers as well. Is that right? You know, I, I've heard different things, to be honest. Okay. I, I've heard, I personally have some friends that are DACA recipients that don't okay. like that, that don't um, want to be categorized as the dreamers. Okay. Um, and then others that do. Um, okay. I know that in the, in like the very like mainstream uh, media, like a lot of us do say dreamers. Uh-huh. Um, but I've just, I've, I think I've gone to a point where I just, I now say DACA recipients over dreamers because I think of like, what I've like the feedback I've received from received from personal DACA recipients. Uh-huh. Um, I don't. I honestly don't know too much about it. Just like yeah. besides that, some of them just don't identify as dreamers. Okay. Yeah. And do you have any idea why? Like, what the difference is that they're perceiving on those? Like, why they wouldn't want to be called that? I honest no. I honestly okay. don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Yeah. That'll give me a little research. To do yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to meet some people and find out why. <laughs> um, no, that's good. That's really helpful for those of us, especially who aren't living in the United States listening today. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of cases. And would this be in the DACA category, too, where there's, you know, maybe their parents came here. Um, their parents came here and don't necessarily have a legal status but that the, mm-hmm. kids, the, the kids were either born here or just raised here. Is that also considered DACA? Yeah. So, um, so DACA only, uh, qualifies for, uh, chill, like it's, how do I explain it? Like they, um, like I said, they're millennials and Gen Zers that qualify for DACA, uh, because they cross the border with their parents as like basically kids Um, so the whole reason behind DACA was like, well, you can't blame the, you know, like not, this isn't me saying, but this is like, you know, the law saying like, you can't blame the kids for also crossing the border with the parents because of course they were going to cross the border with the parents kind of thing. Right. Um, so DACA is only for, um, for the children at that certain age, um, that qualified for DACA. Um, and also like a lot of people don't know that you have to have like a quote unquote good moral um I guess like stand in you would say to even apply like be eligible for DACA so what that means is like you either have to be in college you have to show that you're gonna work you can't have anything on your criminal record so it's like you have to like be very very like um you have to follow like the laws incredibly well and you know and to a certain extent in order to qualify for DACA um there was DAPA before Okay. Which was for the parents of DACA recipients. Um, but unfortunately, that's one of the first things that Trump took away um, in uh, his first, I don't know how many months that took when he became a president, but he took that yeah. very quickly away. Yeah, that's really helpful information just to walk us through that process um, and refresh our memories, or at least some of us, it's for the first time we're hearing some of this. So when you think of an immigrant, Mm-hmm. What do you think of? Because everybody, it seems like, has different stereotypes around yeah. immigrant, and depending on where they live, what country they're in, what their experiences are with immigrants, and then I guess a lot of people don't know anybody that's recently immigrated to the country in which they live. So mm-hmm. I just want to know what you think of because you are yourself an immigrant, and you're around a lot of immigrants. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I think of that word, I mean, I think from my, in me and my personal life, just with the communities that I'm around, um, the people that I'm around, I mean, and I said this earlier, like, like, I'm around so many hardworking immigrants, yeah. um, whether it's people in the agricultural um, fields, like picking our food, 
Um, in the midst for folks that don't know, there have been like a lot of wildfires in the state of California in the midst Mm -hmm. of a pandemic. So the smoke, um, has been terrible here in the state of California, um, for a very long time. And, you know, in the midst of that, we have, um, a lot of hardworking immigrants picking our tomatoes, our lettuce, our, you know, fruits and vegetables that we need to get on our tables, Um, and that, that takes a lot of work. Like I can, I can only imagine how much work that like must be, you know, um, hard, hard, hard work. (laughs) Yeah. Hard, hard work. So like, you know, I think of hardworking people. I said this earlier, I think, um, you know, of resilience because, you know, we've had to just, you know, the amount of pressure that we receive from so many different communities, um, it it can be overwhelming. And so, you know, I I think of like resilience, I think, um, I also think of like, you know, I think of immigrant, I think that I'm able to have those like, shared, like, mindsets in a way those those shared, not shared, like shared experiences that we're all able to relate to each other in some way, shape or form. Um, It can, and it could get us into that, like, deeper level of connection. Um, so it's like, you know, say like I would come across somebody that I've met and like they told me like their, um, sort of how they immigrated and like, you know, that hits, that's more of a personal thing for me. Right. Because I also yeah. have that as well. Yeah. Um, so it's like, we're able to relate on it's like so much more deeper level. Um, you know, we're very like community driven. Um, yeah. so yeah. So those are a few things that I think of. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure when you share those stories, like you remember the story in your own family of your mom crying for two years, leaving behind, you know, six brothers and sisters. And, and I think that that is, you know, it's a very difficult space for a family just to go and just completely start over with no connections and Mm -hmm. no, nobody to vouch for you and be like, you know, this family with this last name, they have a good reputation. you know, let them in your school or let them yeah, in your exactly. workplace or sell them a good car. I mean, as much as we say America is a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and, you know, live the American dream and make it for yourself. A lot of us have had a, a bit of help in this mm-hmm. nation to get somewhere. And a lot of it is just reputation. And when you start over from scratch, I mean, you do cry for a couple of years at least. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So that is a way to bond, I'm sure, with people, especially people who come here without the language and are working really hard to provide mm-hmm. food for all of us. Um, that's a very special club, I would imagine, being a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, um, I would love for you to speak a little bit about what your thoughts are on just some of the misconceptions that you have come across that people might have about immigrants that you would like to clear up. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think, I think especially right now where we are in, in this country um, in terms of like uh, our current administration, among other things, I, I feel, I personally feel like these misconceptions have gotten even so much more worse in a way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like we hear the typical, like, oh, they're here to steal our jobs. They're here yeah. to, <laughs> yeah. um, to hoard like the money from the gov- or government or like whatever yeah. it may be. Um, or like they're criminals. Don't let them come into this country. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, a lot of people don't know that people are every single day are literally risking their lives to come to this country. 
Yeah. Um, and they're risking their lives because they're, they're fleeing from, from violence, Mm -hmm. um, from starvation, from, you know, all these things that, you know, to want to even like protect their family to, um, to come to a new place. So it's like, you know, you know, immigrants are not criminals. Um, yeah. Um, that's something that we need to like name and it's not like a collective like name for immigrants. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but like, you know, there's over like 11 million undocumented people in this country. Um, Mm. and a lot of us think that undocumented people don't pay for taxes, but you know, actually undocumented people pay for billions of dollars in this country. Um, and you know, a lot of people don't know that because it's like, oh, like, you know, they don't even pay for taxes because they don't have a social security number. Like, why do you let them in this country? It's like, no, they, they do. And then on top of that, undocumented immigrants that don't, um, have, you know, because they don't have a social security number, they pay for taxes and they don't have health insurance, Yeah, you know? So it's like, it's, it's a lot. Um, so those are like, I feel like a few misconceptions and it's like, it really pisses me off when like people say like, oh, like they're stealing our jobs. It's like, okay, then how about you do it? Why aren't you You out there? (laughs) Like, why aren't you out there in the midst of a pandemic and wildfire season and picking like tomatoes, avocados? Like, I don't see you out there. Right. Um, Yeah. So those are, those are a few misconceptions. Like it it just, it gets on my nerves really. Cause it's like, it's not okay. It really isn't. It isn't. I agree. And it's good just to clear those up because none of us benefit from stereotypes. And I think Mm -hmm. most stereotypes can be, um, you know, re reset in our minds to the truth when we're around plenty of people for whom that stereotype should apply and yet doesn't. And one of the best ways to get over stereotype is just to get to know people that you're stereotyping. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, if you get to know several of them and you realize none of them actually fit into that stereotype, then suddenly you realize, well, that was an unfair stereotype mm-hmm. because we've all had stereotypes placed on us, no matter who we are. Even white men have yeah. stereotypes placed on them. Women certainly do. People of a certain socioeconomic mm-hmm. status, people who go to a certain school or drive a certain car or have a certain number of kids or don't have kids. Like, Absolutely. we can all face that. And um, and it's just good to to get to know people for whom those stereotypes, you know, supposedly apply and then just figure out if it's true. And like you're saying, you you know so many of them and those, those aren't true. And I mm-hmm. over and over again, I hear people say that on this immigration series, those same things that you're saying, like, immigrants come here mostly not because they're criminals but because life where they were is not sustainable for Mm -hmm. whatever reason and they're coming here because they love America and they believe in America and Mm -hmm. they want to be a part of it not that they want to destroy it or um or see it fall apart and um so that rhetoric really it does need to be changed and it yeah I'm so glad you spoke to that I'd love to also know um for you I know you're a person of faith because I met you Mm -hmm. here at Echo Church. (laughs) Um, And so when you think about your faith and what you understand um, from the scriptures, why do you think it is important for us to care for immigrants and and what part of your faith compels you to do that? Yeah, you know, these past few weeks I've been, I think I've been really resonating on um, the first two commandments that Jesus told us uh, to do and act upon, which was like, you know, love me and also love others. Um, I don't know, Laura, if you can tell me that specific verse. (laughs) Yeah. It's the love, love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think, 
I don't know. I think it's just been on my heart these past few weeks. One, I think partly because I'm part of like um, an echo community group and part of our um, uh, like weekly check-ins is to do like our daily verses, like daily verses and stuff like that. And I don't know. I think that one just kind of like tugged on my heart, like my heart this past few weeks, just because, um, you know, God is commanding us to, to love our neighbor, to love others. Um, and in that, you know, that's, that's loving immigrants. Um, and how, how do you love immigrants? Right. It's like, that's another like call to action. Um, so I think that's kind of just like been my, um, on my mind. And also like, you know, and I, I tell this to folks too, when we have these, like, um, I, I think I specifically tell these maybe to folks to like, maybe aren't in the right, don't know that much about like immigration, um, in terms of like maybe faith or whatever, but like, you know, Jesus also like in a way, like he, when him and, um, when he was a, I think when he was a baby, um, and Mary and Joseph, like they fled, yep. right? They yep. <laughs> they fled, and so like Jesus was like a refugee in a way, yeah, um, because like he was fleeing from violence, yeah. Um, and I think sometimes, especially like people maybe in the Christian community that maybe don't accept immigrants, maybe don't maybe buy into like the whole stereotypes and don't know much about it. It's like they forget that the you know the person that is our Christ and Savior you know, was a refugee. Um, and so I think I kind of tie it in as that as well. It's like, you know, like we, we need to remember that too. Um, I'm sure that was a very, very scary experience for Joseph and Mary. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as like having a baby there and, you know, just everything on that. But yeah, that's, that's been on my mind these past few weeks. Yeah, that's really good. Um, there's also, you know, these verses that talk about when we serve the least of these, it's like we're serving Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. And when you were, you were reminding us of that, you know, period of time where, you know, babies were being killed, they mm-hmm. had to flee with their babies so that, you know, Jesus would stay alive. And, um, you know, it's just a reminder, there are people coming here in the United States with their babies fleeing violence. Yeah. And we hear a lot of stories in Central America. And, um, and so like the desperation that people feel. And it really is when we reach out to them, it really is like, you know, reaching out to Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. And I I just think that's a really beautiful reminder. Uh, We can feel so detached and and we can either pay attention and listen and get involved or we can just ignore it. And I'm sure there were people in Jesus's day that also just, you know, it didn't it didn't affect them. Yeah, it wasn't their people. Absolutely. Um, It wasn't their babies. And so they could just, Mm -hmm. you know, turn the other way. But we have an opportunity to to pay attention. And I think Jesus calls us to look at straight in the face and and know that he's there. Right. And he's right Mm -hmm. in those situations, caring for people and and wants to care for them through us. Right. Through the church. Um, Absolutely. So in the U.S., I know there's a lot of ways to come in um, and we touched a little bit earlier on some of the current policies and processes that have changed over time. And so I want us to, you know, do a little more of a deep dive into that for just a sec. I know that like, you know, you can come into the U.S. like here in Silicon Valley, you know, we have people here, um, H-1B visas, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. people come in because maybe their spouse is here and they can come in on like a spouse visa or a student visa. If you're studying at a university, there's also asylum seekers, which for the most part has been shut down. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways to, to immigrate. Yeah. But um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and some of the current immigration policies and processes from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, you know, unfortunately, my 
my thoughts are probably gonna be very sad <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of disclaimer there um I actually just got I had my policy uh meet in today like a few hours ago and we had a, a little bit of an update about okay. even another more um just horrible thing that's happening in the asylum world mm. um but you know I think an, an overview you know that I would start with is just this administration has made it so, so, so difficult for immigrants, for yeah. people coming here to this country um, as refugees, like as asylum seekers. Um, and it's just, it's been really challenging, like really, really challenging, you know, like I think maybe it was a few weeks ago, the, um, the Ninth Circuit uh, Court basically allowed uh, the Department of Homeland Security to terminate a temporary uh, protected status. Um, and so what a little bit about that, it's called the TPS program. In okay. a way, it is similar to DACA. Um, that okay. basically it allows um, people from specifically from El Salvador, from Haiti, from Nicaragua and Sudan to have, um, it's essentially what it is, like a temporary protected status in this country. Okay. Um, and so because of the administration that we are in right now, um, it is most likely going to terminate. Um, mm. And yeah. this ruling, it affects more than 300,000 uh, TPS holders in this country. Wow. Um, so it's a lot, a lot of people um, that could potentially uh, be in position of deportation. Wow. Um, so it's scary. It's scary. You know, that's one thing that's been going on these past few weeks. Um, another thing, this is just like a little bit of a trigger warning. Um, <laughs> um, just like with, um, with what's been going on in um, ICE detention centers, specifically, we call them yes. prisons. Right, um, yep. With the hysterectomy. Oh, I can't pronounce it. I can never pronounce it. Hysterectomy. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. You're getting... we'll go, oh, we'll go with that one. <laughs> um, I cannot. I always like pronounce the words hysterectomy. Oh my gosh. Okay. Basically, um, there have been nurses in. They're even actually qualified nurses now that I think of it. Um, but there have oh, been hysterectomy. He yes, yes. Thank you. Yes, hysterectomy. Yes. Got, thank you, Laurie. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I I'm not good no with worries. my words sometimes. <laughs> it's okay. My mom is uh, a nurse, but she also works on the border, and so I hear the stories from her because she worked in OB as a nurse for a long time, but then she's also helping with immigrants, immigrants coming out of the ICE detention centers. And so yeah. I've been hearing the stories from her about, yeah, hysterectomies. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. So, um, so yeah, so it just, it, it leaked out. Um, so a black woman actually decided to, um, in a way, per, put her work um, at risk um yeah. to to tell to inform the public like hey this is what's going on in detention centers right now um and you know i i personally when i saw that you know seeing that literally there's nurses like taking out their what is it like their uterus is it specifically yeah, they're I literally it's basically a surgery you do so that you can no longer have children like yeah. people do it typically like you would do it if you had some issues um and you were maybe hemorrhaging or something like that, like, yeah, you, it's not, it's not an elective thing that people do unless yeah. there's something wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so like, they've been literally taking doing that on a woman without the woman's consent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so like, 
my Twitter blew up like last week and I was like, oh my gosh, like what the heck is going on? Like, you know, ICE detention centers are already horrible as it is horrible. Right. Um, and we're seeing something else so much more like, you know, this is like another thing on top of that. Yeah. Um, so that has currently, um, been happening in the detention centers among, you know, thousands of people there, um, you know, getting COVID, elders mm-hmm. getting COVID. Um, I think one of my colleagues yesterday helped release a $10,000 bond for an elder that was, um, you know, pretty, like, um, was in the position of potentially getting COVID in the ICE detention center. Um, and they thankfully had the money to release that elder. So it's oh, like, wow. there, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, you yeah. know, and it, and it really, really breaks my heart. It really does. Cause it's like, what more can we do at this point? Um, yeah. And you know, something else that's going on, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's also on top of me, a naturalization, um, increase fee that is set for October 2nd that was created yes. by the Trump administration. Um, so I, I don't think I talked about this earlier, but we also do do naturalization virtual clinics. Um, we've been doing them for a while now. Our next one is, uh, next month on October 22nd. Um, and this is after the deadline. Um, people have to pay more basically. mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically right now people pay $725. Um, and if they qualify for a fee waiver, they pay less. And okay. what the Trump administration is doing, one, they're going to take out both the fee waivers, the full fee waiver and the partial fee waiver, mm-hmm. um, and increase it to like $1,200, $1,300 or something ridiculous yeah, like that. It's like double. double yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why? Like, we don't need this right now. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Millions yeah. of people have lost their lives. Mm-hmm. Why, like, why, what's going on? Like, um and so like you know it's just like honestly Lori, like I feel like every day there's like a horrible news regarding like just the immigrant community and just some unlawful horrible thing that this administration has done to to my community and it can be emotionally really tiring sometimes oh I'm sure I'm sure yeah but that's that's an overview hopefully I, I didn't say too much but yeah I just wanted to give a few trigger warnings and just you know it's it's a lot to say and a lot to hear as well yeah well um I appreciate you sharing that because we're certainly in an era in the United States and I'd say around the world where we can get our information through such an echo chamber um you know my family on family movie night last Friday we watched the social dilemma on Netflix Mm, I heard that's good it's very good yeah but I mean, we all knew this whole idea that you're, if you don't, if you aren't very proactive, your newsfeed will, will be based on algorithms of mm. who they think you are based on likes that you like on Facebook or friends mm-hmm. that you have and all these things. And they will feed you a certain kind of news. Yeah. And so there are potentially people listening to this podcast that really don't even understand things from this perspective that are reading something completely different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think it's just important for whatever we can control that we know for sure is verified factually because we've met these people. We've been around these systems. We are working with people and, you know, see those fees get charged and, and all the things that you have firsthand information about. It's always better to get it from firsthand information just because yeah. there's so much junk out there that causes us to be full of stereotypes and full of even anger and hatred. Toward people that really it's undeserved, you know, they're just, Mm -hmm. um, they're hurting and they need us, they need our help. And 
and we certainly have a lot of resources in this nation and um and the united states you know is supposedly built as a nation that wants to help others and mm-hmm. um and yet we you know these are just the facts of what's going on and um and so i think it's important to know even though it's hard to look at it's important to know because once we know when we're empowered with the truth the truth can help set us all free from the greed that we're all around um that that would teach us that this is a a land for only a few select kinds of people um and and those who are hurting and in need and are fleeing violence and are desperate um they really need our help and we have resources to help and and it's a it's a time to step up Mm -hmm. and so i'm just glad you shared it even though it's hard to it's hard to hear and also just that the whole idea of like i guess it's more like eugenics or whatever is happening on the border of like you know not allowing certain people to have children you know Mm-hmm. We can only imagine the reasons behind that, but it, it, it seems whatever it is, is very dark and very yeah. evil and awful. And we just, we just need to call it what it is. And, mm-hmm. and for those of us who value life and the sanctity of life, um, that's important to us, you know, that people are treated people made in God's image, right. That mm-hmm. we're all deserving of love and respect and, um, that no one should have the ability to bear children taken away from them without their own consent Mm -hmm. right that's just it's a horrible thing so um yeah I I want to change a little bit here but Mm -hmm. just to to just to kind of dig into the question of like you you know you mentioned how you came as an immigrant yourself and I know that you were a baby at the time and Mm -hmm. maybe you've heard stories from your family but you yourself being an immigrant Mm -hmm. um how do you feel like you have been received and welcomed here in the United States and specifically in California um, what are things that you feel like you hope get repeated from your own experience? You know, um, I think at an early age, especially in California, for folks that don't know, um, majority of, of Latinos are Mexican. Um, yeah. And something that I would get a lot growing up was like, oh, you're not, you're, you're not Mexican, like, and this is specific, <laughs> and this, and that isn't in a bad way or anything, it's like, right. oh, like, oh my gosh, like, tell me, um, like, in this, I, get this, I hope this isn't, like, coming off, like, shame and Mexicans are all, like, that's not what I'm trying to say, it's just, like, <laughs> right. you know, like, oh, like, you're from, like, a different country kind of thing, yeah. um, and even the Mexicans themselves, when I talk to a lot of, like, Mexicanos, it's like, oh my gosh, like, where are you from, your accent is so different, like, kind yeah. of thing, um, and, so definitely, like, um, in terms of, like, um, you know, my, my, my dad, he works in a nonprofit, specifically Christian nonprofit. Uh-huh. And at an early age, his boss, like, completely welcomed us into this country in a way of, like, uh-huh. like bringing in, like, our culture, our, like, our, like, you know, our food, our, mm-hmm. um, like, what we grew up with, you know, just, like, everything that, like, that he just wanted to, like, learn so much more um and for those that don't know like Peruvian food is like really good and so something that like (laughs) something I definitely get common when people ask me like where are you from it's like oh I'm from Peru and they're like oh my gosh like your food is so good (laughs) (laughs) um and so like you know it's kind of that little like icebreaker I guess you would say um that people like you know I guess maybe like given the opportunity or whatever but um you know and I I definitely have felt that um, you know, people just being curious about that, being curious about like our immigration story, um, also being like 
empathetic as well. Um, mm. I think something that we need to remember is like, you know, how, how are we being empathetic to, to other communities, to immigrant communities right now? Um, you know, specifically, like, also, how are you being empathetic for to like black immigrants right now that do probably receive most of, of the stereotypes? Yeah. Um, and so like, I, I hope that, you know, all the, a lot of the, I wouldn't say most of like, most of the empathy that we have received, I hope that can also be passed along. Um, And I do my best to do that as well. Like hearing, you know, clients' stories of their, you know, their immigration stories, like them opening up to me. Um, Even them, like, like, sometimes I'm in a position where they tell me such, like, really deep things that, like, you know, I ask if I can pray over them. Um, Just as, like, because people, some, majority of the people, I don't know, Laura, if you would agree, majority of people, like, they do like to receive prayer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes given the opportunity, it's like, hey, is it okay if I pray for you right now kind of thing? Um, but just like, I, th- I think kind of like that. So that's what I would hope for. That's so great. And I, I just think that those are some very practical things that, um, that give us a, an example of what to repeat. I would mm-hmm. just say most immigrants really love their food and a lot of them have to leave it behind you know especially if you're from a place that you know is a smaller country and the maybe the ingredients can't be found here I mean in California we do get most things so we're very Mm -hmm. blessed but it's largely because of all the immigrants (laughs) (laughs) but some people immigrate to parts of the world or parts of the U.S. even that are more homogeneous and maybe they can't get their food but I think that is just one special thing you can do is just to you know, and share food with someone from their country and hear their story. Just like Mm -hmm. you said, everybody has a story. And if you've left your country to go to another one, there's always some pain and grief. Mm -hmm. Even if you have joy in the new place, there's always a, it's like a death in a lot of ways to leave where you're from. And it's like your identity issues change. And just that story can be full of both trauma and joy Mm -hmm. at the same time. Just being empathetic, like you said, to the, to the feelings of all of it, of that story mm-hmm. is really good. And I'm glad that your family experienced that and that you're getting to repeat it, especially the prayer part, praying for people. Cause yeah. people, yeah, we need, we need hope from, um, a higher power than us to help us get through so much of what's happening right now. And I'm sure immigrants are especially in need of that with all the policies and, and changes and the, the stress and anxiety of not knowing what's ahead for them mm-hmm. for sure is very something we can very much pray for. Yeah. So in addition to that, I'd love for you just to say, um, what are some other practical ways people could help immigrants just from your perspective? And then also I'd be interested in any systemic ways that people could help. Yeah. I mean, some practical ways, um, I don't know if it maybe goes in hands with like, like systemic, but like, you know, kind of like what you were saying earlier, Lori, like, just like be really careful of like where you hear what you're hearing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just kind of like, you know, actually doing your own research as well. Yeah. Um, You know, that's probably one of the first things that comes to my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a practical way would be also, um, you know, also like, what are some maybe nonprofits that maybe you, you can volunteer with? Mm-hmm. Um, right now there's, um, maybe if you yourself are a lawyer or are in law school, um, can you maybe do some pro bono work? Yeah. Um, you know, specifically with the immigrant communities, I know Raices is a great organization, um, that does the specifically is an immigrant led organization, um, among yeah. other organizations. Um, but yeah, I mean, get in. Also, being okay with like being uncomfortable, 
good. Like, I think that's a practical way, like, you know, with that, because like, I think in our uncomfortable moments, especially like right now where we are as a country, um, we learn from being uncomfortable and being okay that, you know, that you've messed up maybe in the past, but also growing Mm -hmm. from that and not maybe making those errors again, because it's like, oh, okay, like maybe I shouldn't have said this before, or maybe I should have called out that person when they said that. How can I do that differently this next time around? Mm. Um, So, yeah, those are, I feel like, more of, like, simple, practical ways. And then in terms of, like, systemic ways, like, something, you know, that comes to mind, I think especially just, like, with this, um, just, like, with racial justice right now and just um, with everything going on, um, you know, it's not just, like, your individual capacity, but I think it's also a collective responsibility, um to like dismantle the lies that we hear every single day um and whether it's like from a neighbor from you know like your colleague it's like and like I said like that's definitely an uncomfortable moment um but it's also like an opportunity to teach that person that maybe didn't know um what they were saying or um you know grow from that as well but you know it's not just like an individual perspective it's like we like especially in the christian community it's like it's our collective responsibility um to to help immigrants in that way um but yeah so those are a few things that that come in my mind those are good those are really good those are very specific things that we can all (laughs) do and um it even reinvigorates me and some areas of passion to to dig deeper into those thank you for that yeah I wanted you to leave us with maybe a story of an immigrant that would capture what you feel like people might need to know about immigrants um right now like they if you can think of someone maybe a DACA situation or somebody that you've encountered anything that would just be a story that can compel us um about the nature of what's happening yeah I mean you know, right? I mean, in terms of like DACA, um, and I know I said this like previously, or maybe I didn't, but like there is currently right now like seven hundred thousand DACA recipients um, in the country, and out of the seven hundred thousand, I think there's like thirty thousand of them um, that are health health worker providers in the midst of a pandemic. Wow. Um. So it's 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 a big number. Um, and I think something like very early on in like my virtual DACA renewal clinics, I basically was in the position to tell the clients like, Hey, like DACA might end like next week. Um, Mm. and you might not be able to work. Um, and so it was, it was like, it was really, really difficult for me to say those things. But the reason why I had to say is because some, sometimes some, you know, some DACA recipients didn't know what was going on. So I was just kind of catching them up on it. Um, and I wanted to know, like, hey, like, this is what's gonna, this is what might happen, because, like, you know, it's in the hands right now of the Supreme Court, and they might reject it, or they might not. Um, and, you know, I think them expressing, like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I gonna do? Like, what's gonna happen? Um, like, how, you know, like, how am I gonna, like, feed my children? How am I gonna feed my parents? How am I gonna finish school? Like, I'm in, like, I think one person I was talking to, they were, like, in their senior year of college. Um, And so, like, it's a a lot that's going on right now because of all these, um, like, unnecessary hurdles that's going on right now in this administration. Um, Because, like, you know, this administration doesn't see immigrants like how you and I see them. 
Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it can be a lot. So it's like, I think just also think of, especially like, you know, if you do come across a lot of undocumented, like an undocumented person here and there, it's like, you know, they're going through a lot right now mm-hmm. in addition to yeah. what they already have to go through. And it's a, it's a really scary time. Yeah. Well, that's all the more reason to compel us to really think through, um, what it is we can do both yeah. practically and systemically. And that is very compelling because I certainly, I, when I go to Kaiser hospital here, a lot of people that are working in there are, um, immigrants, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that serve us in our healthcare and, um, and in a variety of ways, obviously California, probably more so than other States, but I know that around the United States, everywhere people have yeah. immigrants in their state of, you know, various kinds. And, um, and then in, you know, a lot of major urban areas around the world, right? And so yeah. it's just a reminder to, to see people, not as people serving us, but as like a person mm-hmm. who, who might be living with a level of anxiety that we, can, we can't even imagine yeah. of not knowing whether next week they can continue to work. That would be really scary, especially mm-hmm. during COVID. And so, yeah, that's very compelling. And, and I think something else I'll add to, or like another practical way, especially like, um, I think, you know, to help immigrants specifically, like undocumented immigrants, like, you know, if you are an eligible, eligible voter, please, please register to vote this year. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like, I've heard this in so many different, um, from so many different people, like this is like probably the most important election of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are hundreds of thousands of people people that I personally know, my loved ones that would do anything to vote this year because this election affects their lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you can go to IWillVote.com or you can go to IAmAVoter.com. Check if you're registered. Um, Check if, or if you want to get registered, it takes less than a minute. It's another practical way to help out immigrant communities right now as well. That's good. I love it. It's so great. And I do think that we want to hear from the voices of immigrants in this election because they are mm-hmm. certainly a part of our nation, a very valued part. Um, and I've mentioned this before on a different episode, but unless you're Native American in the United States, mm-hmm. full-blooded Native American, at some point in your history, there was an immigration story. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if for nothing else, it should be a really important issue to all of us when we vote. I know there's a lot of reasons people vote, but for me, it's a really, really important one. Mm-hmm. As someone who's been an immigrant in other nations around the world, who's walked through countless immigration signs, handed my passport, and hoped for a stamp <laughs> and kindness, <laughs> and um, and just knowing what that feels like, and um, and just wanting to be the kind of person that receives immigrants well here, because my faith compels me to, and the scriptures speak very, very clearly mm-hmm. about it, but also just because of my own experience. And I think when you've experienced like what you did here in California, so many people welcoming your family and wanting to eat your Mm -hmm. food and celebrating your culture, then it really is a contagious thing. You want to do that for others because of how well you've been received. And I think one of the ways you can welcome and receive people well is to vote in in such a way Mm -hmm. as to allow the policies to to do that and to share our resources and not be hoarding them or act with greed, which is a really evil way to live. And, um, And I do agree with you. I hope that People um, let their voices be heard on this issue. It's a really important Mm -hmm. one to me, which is why we're doing this series. And I'm so thankful 
that you came <laughs> on and shared your personal story today and also the really important work that you do here in California, especially with the DACA cases. I just think it's a really special, sacred place that you get to show hospitality to immigrants in this way and very practical ways and systemic ways. And I'm just so grateful for you and you, you sharing your story with us today. So muchas gracias. gracias. <laughs> <laughs> nada, Lori. Happy to be here and, and talk to you. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much and um, keep up the great work. Thank you, Lori. Take care. Thank you too. Bye. Gracia is just such a great example of what it looks like to dedicate your life to helping those who really could use our help, especially in areas of um, systems that are stacked against immigrants. She really is just dedicating her life to helping people who need legal services to help them out and in situations where it's just too difficult for them to find representation. And I just love all the information she gave us today about DACA, and I hope it was very enlightening for you. There are so many issues related to immigration, and this is just one of many that she helped us pour into today. She's really just um, hopefully given you some things to think through. If DACA is a situation that is new for you and you haven't quite understood it, hopefully today she gave you more information to think about it. And once again, just like with all of our episodes, I would encourage you to bring this to your friends and family and community and your conversations. These are things we really, as a society, need to get different perspectives on and and think through and think through deeply and not just on a surface level. These are deep issues that affect the lives of many dear people. And obviously she has people that are very close and dear to her that she's been able to help in this area as she's working with this organization that helps provide legal services for those who really need it. And, you know, we've heard from so many in this series about just different ways we could all plug in and just help out. And hopefully this is just one of many things that have caused you to really think during the series in a different way and opened your eyes to new new facets of this whole conversation. Next week, we're going to take a little one-week break <laughs> from our immigration series because it is Indigenous Peoples Day on October 12th. And um, some people celebrate that as Columbus Day, but we're going to talk about what it means to some of the Native Americans in the United States and get uh, just a perspective from someone who um, just sees it from a different angle maybe than what you've been taught in, in history or maybe you have had a, a good U.S. history course where you've kind of dug into some of those things and it won't be all that new. But for some of you, especially in different countries around the world who are used to just seeing America as cowboys and Indians, uh, tune in for this because it's going to hopefully shed some new light on new perspective and history just to help us dig di- a little deeper into a perspective we don't often listen to in order to just commemorate this Indigenous Peoples Day and celebrate the perspective of someone who probably doesn't get their voice and their people's voice heard very often. So next next week, Indigenous Peoples Day for October 12th. Really tune in for this one, and um, and then we'll get back to our immigration series on the following week. Have a great week, guys. Bye.